All righty, welcome back. Uh, Q&A time. Our first question. Hi, Tim and Maranatha. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of the very recent developments in the United Nations and the World Health Organization. Uh, this coming week, the Biden administration is handing over control of the to the WHO, uh, along with 200 other countries at a special session of the United Nations. The documents are going to be signed that allows the WHO to supersede our national constitutional sovereignty in establishing worldwide policies uh, during uh, declared emergencies. Uh, do you? And, and the, the question goes on to say, do you feel it's appropriate for um, people to contact their lawmakers to protest this and so forth. First off, um, I don't get distressed at this at all. This is not that big a deal to me. I think the way it was presented, it's hysterical and, and, and overly uh, dramatic in the way it's presented. Um, as Christians, we understand that the Bible teaches globalism happens. There's going to be a one-world ultimate organization of some kind, whatever shape and exact form it takes at the end, that will persecute the saints. It's an inevitability. And when you see that uh, and you see events that you believe are leading that direction, uh, you fix your eyes on Christ, lift up your head, because redemption is drawing near. So you don't get frightened by it, you get excited by it, because things are coming to a head. And as these methods are being used, it's an opportunity to show the other methods and why the other methods are better. This particular um, thing, though, it, in my view, is completely irrelevant. Uh, what they say is not going to happen. What I mean by that is, yes, Biden administration may sign this, this uh, agreement of some kind, uh, the Senate may actually ratify it, as any other treaty that we sign. But understand how reality works. Any treaty that we enter, at the time that they try to do something to our country, if the people in power that run our country at that time don't want to agree to it, and don't want to do it, they won't do it. Just look at our own current laws of our own nation right now, on our own border control right now, and are the people in charge actually living up to what the law says they have to do on our own southern border? No. No. Okay? So this thing that, that we will lose sovereignty, it's designed to create hysteria. It's designed to create fear. It's designed to, to get you going down all these um, uh, trails. It's, they may do it. Also, and understand any other treaty we get in, whether it's a North American Free Trade Agreement, whether it's any other treaty... We can get out of a treaty anytime we want to as well. When you enter a treaty, get your mind around this treaty. The United States sovereignty exercises its sovereignty to engage in the treaty. And because we retain the authority, we can say, uh, we've decided to exit the treaty, just like Trump did in several of the trade agreements or the treaty with Iran that he pulled us out of that we were supposedly in. So you can get in and out of these things anytime you want. This is designed to suggest once this happens, we won't be free in America and we won't have sovereignty anymore. I think it's hysterical. That's just my view. Again, the people who hold the reins of power in this country will do what the people who hold the reins of power want to do, regardless of what treaties are lost. That's what's going to happen. And you see it happening right now. Look at all the illegal things that have happened in this country by the people in power over COVID, over the southern border, over the holding, pe over the so-called insurrection. Oh, this is a good one, guys. If anyone believes an, inter inter an insurrection was attempted on January 6th, if you believe that, you are, if you, don't raise a hand, because you will just be telegraphing that you have no critical reasoning skills and you've been propagandized and you believe somebody else's lies, okay? 
Because what happened on January 6th was a group of people walked into buildings and occupied some space inside the Capitol buildings. That's what happened. Just imagine for a moment, because we're all very upset at what Putin is doing in the Ukraine, right? If we could just get a few hundred people to get inside the Kremlin and be able to sit in those offices, we could run the Russian government. We have committed a, an insurrection, and we now control the reins of Russian power. We could stop the war, right? <laughs> Does anyone believe for a second if you got some people that could march in mass inside the Kremlin and get inside their offices, we in any moment of that had any control of their government? It was never an insurrection. And anybody who thinks it was does not understand reality. So the, uh, so the, the idea of putting forth is right, and then taking these individuals who trespassed nonviolently and hold them in prison for more than a year is a violation of the law. Again, people in power will do what they want to do irrespective of treaties and laws is all I'm saying. Like World War II, holding the Japanese citizens uh, in uh, these camps, internment camps for, for all those years, illegally. Uh, it says, I think I remember you saying that when Jesus overturned the tables in the temple, that it was, wasn't violent. What Bible verse backs that up? I read Matthew chapter 12, but not understanding the flow. Please elaborate, Matthew 12. Uh, so let's read uh, Matthew 12, 21. She's Matthew 21, 12, 21, 12. Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches on um, benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer. You're making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna, the son of David. They were indignant. So I want you to figure out, if you read the whole context, imagine some elder in the church, some Sabbath morning or Sunday morning, whichever day you go to church, overthrows the pulpit and the communion table in such a way that the children are not frightened. He did this, and notice, several points. One, his actions that he took, if you read all three accounts, were against the furniture, not the people. The whip that he formed and cracked was for the cattle. Crack the whip, it alerts the cattle, and he moves them out of the sanctuary, not against the people. So there was no acts of violence taken against the people. He turned over the money tables. Why? Why did he do this? And he did it in such a way that those who were childlike and who were have a clear conscience and seeking God's healing, the lame and the and the uh, uh, came to him, the blind came to him at the temple, and they didn't flee; they stayed behind. So he did this in a way that only the guilty. So I, I think a little bit of divinity flashed through. Truth and love flashed through. Those who were alien to truth and love fled. Those who were there for greed and avarice and cheating, they didn't want to be near him. Those who actually were seeking God stayed behind. And so there's an object lesson. The temple is an object lesson for the spirit temple. Okay, For God's plan to restore righteousness in the heart. And when he 
turned over the money tables. He's saying, if you let me into your spirit temple, I will turn over your idols. I will overthrow your attachments to greed and avarice and cheating and lying. And all those who are blind spiritually, I will give them eyes to have to see. And who are lame spiritually, I will enable to walk in righteousness. And all those who are childlike will learn of me. This is an object lesson. He's teaching. So there's no violence here. Can you please offer biblical response to shame and guilt that results from spiritual abuse and sexual abuse or any harm caused by sins against us? It can be hard to distinguish between legitimate guilt and shame and imposed shame and guilt resulting from victimization. Both result in feelings of isolation and wanting to hide, just like Adam and Eve did. I have not been able to attend church for two years after a pastor exploited me for their own needs. I'm left with shame and guilt and loss. So first off, we're sorry that you have gone through whatever you've gone through, and I'm sorry to hear about your struggles. Uh, What you said, it can be hard to distinguish between legitimate guilt and shame, and impose guilt and shame if you're trying to distinguish them by how they feel. It's hard because they feel the same. If you're trying to distinguish them, though, by objective truth, it's actually quite easy to distinguish them. I feel guilt. Did I do anything wrong? Did I do wrong? Or was wrong done to me? Oh, that's not a hard question to figure out. So, first step, always in trying to differentiate, is step back and ask the truth. What's the truth? Did I do wrong or was wrong done to me? If wrong was done to you, then the guilt and shame would be false guilt and false shame. Does a child, a six-year-old child who gets molested by anyone, have anything to be ashamed of? No. But they will feel shame. But where's the shame coming from? It's coming from a lie. False guilt and false shame can never be resolved by the methods of true guilt, resolving true guilt and shame. True guilt and shame are resolved by repentance and reconciliation with God. False guilt cannot be resolved that way because there's nothing to repent of. There's no wrong that you've done, so you can't repent of it. But people still try, and they go through the, I'm sorry, they try to make it up, and it actually makes them become codependent and vulnerable to exploitations. They're trying to always make up for something that they've never done wrong because they want that feeling to go away. The only way out of false guilt and shame is truth. Now, one other layer here, uh, and false guilt and shame is always in some, some way based on a lie. <clears throat> Lies have two orbits of operation inside your head or heart. One orbit of operation is lies that you believe about what's happening in the world around you. And they can be quite destructive. They can destroy people. Like, you believe a lie that your brother is molesting your child. But they're not. But you believe it. That's a lie in the world around you. But if you believe that lie, think that through. Well, that, will you sleep well tonight? Will you be distraught? Will it divide the family? Will they conflict? How about it's not it's your husband molesting your child? You believe that lie. It's not true, but you believe the lie. Can you see the, the devastation that could come from that lie? That's the lies that we believe about things happening around us. It would be devastating. But there's a deeper lie. 
And that's the lie that doesn't just happen inside our mind and what we believe about the world around us. It's when the lie enters the orbit of our sense of self, lies about the self. After a child has been molested, then those lies can often enter the sense of self. I'm gross. I'm ugly. I'm dirty. I'm nasty. I'm disgusting. And these lies are so deep, they're not even often cognitive. It's just the way they feel about themselves. And those lies uh, are also false, and they also are devastating because then they end up impacting the developing sense of self, confidence they have, and will form all types of um, impairments in, in development and decision-making in relationships. And I can't go any more to that. But I would tell you, if, if you're struggling with this, first off, you say you haven't been able to attend church. Well, I hope you're not trying to attend the church where that same pastor is. I hope that's the case. Uh, if, it's, if, if you have been trying to attend that church, well, first order uh, is find another church. If you can't attend any church, then you need to do a little work about that and, and inquire what's that about because, um, yes, one individual harmed you. That would be like saying, um, you know, you were, you were raped by one person. I can't be around any men, including my dad and brothers now. I mean, that, that doesn't make sense. Uh, we understand why it could happen, but some part of you knows that's not, that's not a, a healthy response to what's happened. Second thing I would encourage you, if you want two resources, I would encourage you to get my book, Could It Be This Simple? If you have a U.S. postal address or you're in uh, South Africa or Australia, uh, you contact us. We'll send you one for free. You're already in our member section, so you can actually listen to the audio and download the audio files of that for free in our member section. Could it be this simple? Um, go to our um, Healing the Mind Chattanooga seminar where I have an entire lecture on recovering from sexual abuse. I think that could be helpful. And then there's a book by Kurt Thompson called The Soul of, uh, Soul of Shame. Soul of Shame. And it's a really good book on recovering from shame. And I encourage you to, to uh, get that resource. And then if those don't uh, help you get to where you need to be, then think about uh, professional counseling. You know, the aftermath of two years of lockdowns, loss, income, uh, et cetera, in Australia, uh, in, in the city in Australia known for the longest lockdowns in the world, two years of lockdowns in the city in Australia. Uh, I meet regularly with many who are struggling mentally, emotionally, and financially with the impact. One lady today was in tears feeling fear for her future and current losses. She believes in God, second coming, and studies and prays uh, a lot, but still grappling with feelings that there is no uh, point attempting to rebuild her career. She helps others, but is struggling to help herself. What coping strategies would you recommend? Uh, as many of us believe we are in the lull before the next storm, as there are federal elections uh, going on at the moment, in fear for what will happen um, after it is over. Thanks for your help. So I can't give specific actions for individuals to take in circumstances like this because there are way too many variables. Uh, Joseph, we'll be talking about in, in next, next week, gets sold by his brothers into slavery. Uh, worse than two years of lockdown in your home. He's a slave for 13 years. Yet, in that um, ordeal and trial of his life, God still had a plan for him and was working out a larger plan that he was able to achieve through Joseph's continued surrender, trust, and loyalty to God. I can't say in every life circumstances what, where, what God's purpose is, where he wants you to be, who he can reach. Uh, our response in these times is to not focus on the world, not focus on self, but focus on God, trust him with the circumstance, put it before him, and then follow where he leads, looking for opportunities where he can bring something good out of the trials and ordeals going around us. I can't, I can't be more precise than that. 
I have several individuals who would like to start a personal home studies. Is there a Bible study series paper that contains the healing message, uh, one with prophecy as well? We have one. If you go to our our, um, website under our resource section, um, it's uh, down at the, uh, if you go right up to the top of the website, it's under resources, bottom right column. It says Sure Word Bible Studies. Uh, it was uh, written by Bill Chambers and uh, that they he gave that to us before he passed and and that is there free free for download and that would be a place you could start. Can you explain why death is God's response to sin? It doesn't appear to be a natural consequence to sin when you consider the rebellious angels. God still gives them life and has done so uh, since the war, heavenly war. But humans, on the other hand, have been given a limited lifespan. Death is like a doctor not res- resuscitating a patient or giving them life-saving medicine. Uh, since God is about freedom, why in the end does he not just quarantine all creation and ultimately rejects him, that ultimately rejects him and allow them to live? So, very interesting question, and this is a core question in all of Christianity. What happens to the wicked, and what's God's response to it? Notice, though, there, there's, some, there's multiple premises and assumptions in your questions that are actually not true to reality. And therefore, the, 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 the concerns you have are based on falsehood you've accepted as true, not actual concerns with God. First one is that you said is, can you explain why death is God's response to sin? It's not. The Bible doesn't teach that death is God's response to sin at all. Death doesn't come out from God. God is the source of life. The wages of sin is death. Sin, when full grown, brings forth death. Those who sort of the carnal nature, from that nature, reaps destruction. Satan is the murderer from the beginning. Jesus came to destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, uh, Hebrews 2.14. Death comes out from Satan, and rebellion against that does not come out from God. It is not his response to sin. Sin brings its own wage and its result is death if it's not healed and remedied. God's response to sin is life. God's response to sin is self-sacrificial um, death of Jesus Christ to, to destroy death and bring life and immortality to light, as it says in 2 Timothy 1.10. So the, the first question is based on the imperial law model that says that the minimum penalty for sin is death, which God inflicts as any imperial magistrate would, and that's why there is a problem. Well, why would God have to kill? He doesn't. Sin kills, not God. Be very clear on that. It doesn't appear to be a natural consequence to sin. Yes, that's because God in grace mercifully intervened to provide probationary time for both the fallen angels and human beings. Because had God let Lucifer and the angels reap the death that their actions, and, and let make this very plain to you, if we believe God is a source of life, which he is, none, no created being has life, original, unbarred, underived. All living organisms other than God himself derive life from God. And if we believe that sin severs our connection with the source of life, then what's the result of that? Death, non-life, okay? If God lets Lucifer and his angels reap that from the very beginning, they cease to exist. They, they, they die. But the, no beings in the universe have ever seen death before. They wouldn't have any appreciation as to the reasons why. They, they didn't understand this. So what would then happen? They would believe exactly this premise that if you don't do what God says, he'll kill you. And if you believe the premise, you don't do what God says, he'll kill you, what happens to love in your heart? It's destroyed and rebellion goes and fear drives. So the only, so, so to, to not suspend the angels from reaping death, 
providing a, a, a probationary existence to allow these things to unfold, then rebellion would have cascaded throughout the entire universe. On earth, after Adam and Eve sinned, God's grace created an artificial state of existence, what we call death. What we call death is not the death that is the wages of sin. What we call death is a sleep. It's a state of suspended animation. It's a state like when your computer runs out of power. It is not operating anymore. But as long as you repower it up or even just back up all the data on the cloud and you can destroy the machine, but then you go get a new machine and download all the data, you've resurrected your computer, okay? That is not dead until the data is gone. That's why Jesus said those who believe in him will never die. They might sleep, but they won't die because death, that is the wage of sin death, is, is no, no human has died. So this thing we call death, which is sleep, is an artificial state that God's grace has permitted to truncate or limit the, the damage that sin could do to keep open the avenue through the human family for Jesus to come in order to eradicate sin and save the species human. So, yes, death is the natural consequence of sin. God has been intervening miraculously and graciously to suspend and hold at bay those ultimate consequences to provide the remedy and reconciles to him. Uh, I'm still contemplating 1 Thessalonians 5.3, plea, uh, uh, peace and safety from last week's Q&A, a mindset for sure. However, could this be referencing uh, end-time false revival when churches are going together and when Satan appears as Christ? Would not there be some um, great to-do um, being made out of peace and safety at that time, after which um, they will then turn on those uh, not following the beast with instructions to join, etc. Uh, once we go into future speculation and you say, isn't it possible? Of course. Of course it's possible. Um, I, I wouldn't argue that at all. It's all speculative at that point. Uh, in SARS-CoV-2 response context, please refer and consider uh, expounding on vaccine types. For example... Is an attenuated or, or smallpox virus vaccine or the smallpox vaccine uh, type that Ellen White accepted quite drastically different from the messenger RNA type and other immunological engineered devices which focus on a spike protein or other small fraction portion of the virus? And is, and is it uh, accurate that treatments with the engineered chemical device uh, prompt uh, to prompt the immune system to only generate antibodies against a fractional segment of the virus instead of the whole um, virus have resulted in excess deaths while um, so forth. And then they quote a, a, an article uh, that came out in Israel uh, last fall showed it, showing that Pfizer's um, paperwork and clinical trials that were submitted to get FDA approval showed that in the, in, in the arm of the study that received the Pfizer vaccine, they had 24% more all-cause deaths than the, than the arm that received no vaccine. So 24% more people died if you got the vaccine than if you didn't get the vaccine in their studies. But it was determined that none of those deaths were caused by the vaccine. And so that, that, that article was, was cited. So my answer to this question, uh, it's a very interesting question. Uh, Ellen White, uh, they use the word that they, the vaccine type Ellen White accepted. Ellen White acceptance didn't mean Ellen White took it. As far as I know, she didn't. But she didn't oppose it. Neither did she endorse it. She allowed people the freedom if you wanted it. She said, okay, take it. If you think it's best in your circumstance, if you don't, then don't. So she took the position of liberty, uh, but did not come out against the vaccine, uh, the uh, smallpox vaccine of her day. Uh, so just to clarify that language there used. 
First order question when comparing smallpox to this is that smallpox had a mortality rate of more than 50%. More than 50% of people who got smallpox died. SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, less than 0.3% of people who get this infection die. They're not comparable. They don't, they don't present the same threat to society at all. First order. In fact, I said it from the beginning, way back in 2020, spring of 2020, I said that SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, was not serious enough an illness to merit a vaccine. That's the first order. Second, uh, on top of that, it certainly wasn't serious enough to warrant an experimental treatment with no long-term safety data, when only maximum is 0.3, and many populations 0.1%, and even in children it's 0.00007%. Okay, the risks are negligent, statistically zero for children. When you have a disease that is, is that mild, it does not warrant an experimental treatment with no long-term safety data. Everybody agree with that? Okay. Uh, and so, so the smallpox was not that. Smallpox was a disease that over 50% of people actually died from. Quite serious. Now, I'm going to give a little metaphor, and then I'm going to apply it to your question. The doctors who treated George Washington for pneumonia bled him and leached him to try to get his fever down, his pneumonia to go away, because they believed there were evil humors that were driving this. What did they think they were providing or doing for President Washington? Did they not think that they were providing a treatment that would treat his disease? If you were able to travel back in time and suggest to those medical professionals of his day that their actions were actually harming, not helping, what do you, how do you think you'd likely be received? Appreciatively? as an perhaps enemy loyalist, a loyalist to Britain trying to undermine the, 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 the new nation, if they had a federal health department of their day, what do you think their policies would be for treatment of pneumonia with high fever and their treatment recommendations from their Centers for Disease Control? Would they have policy written that the professionals' uh, consensus is that you bleed and leech people who have... And because it comes from on high government agent believed to be true, seeking with good heart to help, that will make it therefore clinically effective for them. It won't harm. Or will it still harm? It's a metaphor. Bleeding and leeching recommendations coming from professionals of the day, would they be actual treatments of pneumonia? Would they be treatments of pneumonia? That's the metaphor. It doesn't matter they believe they were. It doesn't matter that they say they were. It doesn't matter their intentions that they were. The truth is they were not. They harmed. So the second order, first order, smallpox is not comparable to this. Over 50% of people die. Second order is the type of vaccine of smallpox, measles, mumps, polio. These are what are called sterilizing vaccines. When you get those vaccines, you actually get immunity from those illnesses. And most everybody you know has had a polio vaccine. Polio is ubiquitous. It's in the ground. You can get exposed to polio viruses in the world around you. It's in the dirt. It's in some water. How come we don't see polio everywhere? 
because you're immunized against it. It's not a threat to you. It, that's why. This thing that they inject, called a COVID vaccine, it does not provide immunity. It does not prevent spread. It does not prevent infection. It does not prevent reinfection. And it never was intended to. Any suggestions along the line? So it was they lied in the beginning about the threat, making it seem more dangerous than it than ever was. And then they lied about this injection, claiming it's a vaccine when it never was a vaccine. They labeled it as such. So, well, bleeding and leaching is a treatment for pneumonia. No, it's actually not. This thing is a is a vaccine for for COVID. No, it actually is not. It never was, and it never will be. At best. At best, you could make the argument that it is an injectable therapeutic designed to reduce the severity of illness if you get infected. You could make that argument. But if you make that argument and you tell people there is an illness, 0.1% of the general population, 0.3% at the older population uh, may die from this illness, will die from this illness even, There's an injection that will not prevent you from getting it, will not prevent you from spreading it, will not prevent you from getting it again and again. But when you get it, you might not get as sick. But we have no long-term safety data on it. And it might affect uh, blood clotting, heart issues, etc. How many people would have taken it? So it was a lie. The The whole cascade of events... I'm going to be giving a talk July 15, 16 in Michigan at a uh, United Health uh, with, with Peter McCullough will be there. I'll be there, whole host of people. It's a two-day CME event, and I'll be giving a talk COVID and the manipulation of your mind, which I'll be outlining a nine-step process that w- that was perpetrated upon the world, specifically constructed to get people to make a decision that they would not otherwise have made in the vast majority of cases. And I will lay out the evidence for that process in that, in that presentation. After I do that up there, we'll probably, if you guys are interested, I might, might do it for you guys. Okay, aside from the law of sin and death, are there any other laws that have come into effect because of sin? No. No. All other, uh, no. All the other laws, uh, if you want to talk about it, they're all violations of God's law. That's it. God's laws are laws of life, law of sin and death is the breaking of God's laws. And it results in wound, injury, and death. So no. Let's see. I hope I didn't miss a question. No. While, while, let's see. While I don't see a need for millions of years, is it possible the earth as we know it to be millions of years younger than the universe? So my view uh, on the Genesis account is that the Genesis account is not an account of the creation of the universe based on Scripture, because Scripture tells us in Job chapter 34 that the angels in heaven sang together for joy when the foundations of the earth were laid. If they're singing for joy when the foundations of the earth were laid, that means they're in existence. (laughs) So the angels, at least, were already in existence when earth was created. So Genesis 1, is my view, is not a description of creation of all of God's vast universe and all the worlds with intelligent life all over whoever knows and the whole... No, Genesis 1 is terraforming planet Earth. 
and particularly in my view, it's this solar system. So it's Earth, Sun, Moon, and stars, day four. What are the stars? Mercury, Venus, Mars. You ever see those stars at night? They're very bright some nights. Yeah. So it's the stars of the solar system that were created in terraform. And what was this earth like in the universe God has already created at sometime billions of years in the past? It was a dark, black, void abyss in space in which light didn't exist. But at some center had some perhaps non-organic matter already there that God then spoke and dissipated. And he spoke that matter into existence sometime in the past when he spoke the rest of the universe in existence. So I still see God making it all. I see the timeline perhaps being a little bit different for terraforming planet Earth and the rest of the universe based on the fact that Scripture indicates their intelligence, intelligence is already alive when Earth is created. I've been reading through Bible series called Truth, Link, and Found in few similarities with common reason teachings. Unfortunately, it seems to mix the God of love with the penal legal God. Any chance you've interacted with the authors? I, I'm not familiar with that organization. So I, 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 the organization I don't recognize. Some of their authors and who's involved, I don't know if I've interacted since I don't know who, the, who, who those people are. Greetings, common reasons, have a school. My wife and I have decided that we need marital counseling. However, we are unsure of how to select a counselor for us, understanding that... Uh, that many have any great music. So, so go to our website, go to the uh, search engine up top, how to find a, a, a psychiatrist. And there's a whole, uh, I've gone through a whole series of steps and, and questions you should ask and how to find one to apply for your, your search there as well. Uh, do you think having an interview between you and Jordan Peterson would have any possibility of iron sharpening iron? Uh, as the following verse, the yeah, iron sharpness. So, yeah, no, I'd be happy to have a conversation with him. I, I've actually seen a couple of his, and I think it'd be very fun. I think he's got a, several flawed premises that that uh, that could be uh, helpful to to process back and forth, and I would enjoy an opportunity. So, if you uh, if you know him and he'll have me on, I'll be glad to have a conversation and see what happens. I would, I'd love. I think he's got some great insights. And he's really got a great mind, and I think it would be a lot of fun. I just think there's some data points that it's like a puzzle piece. I've got some puzzle pieces I don't think he's seen yet, and I think if he sees those. He'd probably like those puzzle pieces. Yeah, so uh, somebody's pointing out here regarding the question about Esau. Esau was given, Patriarchs and Prophets 198, Esau was given a dream seeing Jacob grieving over his mother's death and so forth, and he was being influenced uh, not to attack his brother. Uh, thank you, Dr. Tim, for a powerful Bible study. I am on, I am one who likes to listen to your old Bible studies today. I listened to one from 2013, A Holy and Just God, where you said something interesting. Instead of praying for the Holy Spirit, we should start by uh, by praying to be made ready to receive the Holy Spirit. I was confused, and I didn't arrive at to arrive to understanding what you meant by being ready. Can you elaborate on that? Well, I don't remember what I said in 2013. <laughs> I'd have to go back and look at the context of what I said and why I said that at that time. Uh, I suspect it has to do with how the Holy Spirit works. Um, and so, so as, as, I, as I think about this, how does the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth? He's working on hearts and minds. Okay? He brings truth to our minds in ways we can understand it and then leaves us free to make a decision. Many people pray for the Holy Spirit to empower. And it's probably talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. But you don't get the power of the Holy Spirit until you first make the choice to apply to your life what the Holy Spirit is enlightening you to apply, to make the decision. You're left free, completely free, without pressure. So once you understand a particular action or course that the Holy Spirit has called you to do, but you're in the land of the valley of decision, you're not, you're not ready to commit to that choice, you're ambivalent, you're uncertain, you're not going to get the power until you say, yes, I choose it. Now, Lord, I need your power because all his biddings are enabled. Then you get the power. 
But I hear many people praying for power in my, in my practice. I pray for God to help me do this. Well, you have, help me stop smoking. I pray all the time. Have you, have you chosen to put them down and stop buying them? Well, no. Okay. And so, so that's probably what I'm talking about, that, that you know, a pray to be ready. Also, there's another aspect of that, not just personal sin, the, the latter rain. And it may be the latter rain I was talking about. Many people pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Will God pour his spirit upon people to empower them to take a false message about him to the world? No. So it very well may be that I'm suggesting pray to prepare me to have the right message about you so that you can empower me to take the right message to the world. But many people are paying, and I tell you, the Adventist church, or many people in the Adventist church, praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to take a fraudulent message about an imperial dictator God who's going to use the power to create a miracle to torture people in fires before he kills them. The Holy Spirit's not going to empower that message. That message is fraudulent. That message is not the message of the three angels. And so that may be what I was talking about as well. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your love, and we thank you for all your revelations. We thank you for the truth that you've revealed to us in Jesus. We thank you for your spirit, and we do ask that you will enlighten us. You will transform us. You will prepare us to know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, in our sense, so that we can take a true and, and accurate message and say what of you is right, and then we can receive your spirit to empower us. We pray in your holy name. Amen.